This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Today, we are honored to have naturopathic physician, Dr. Catherine Maloney on with us. Thank you so much for being on, Catherine. And I just want to um, give a, a quick background on Catherine. She's a qualified naturopathic physician who specializes in natural fertility and has a postgraduate qualifications in fertility education, as well as birth preparation and support. Catherine has helped hundreds of women and couples to conceive who previously have had fertility issues. She has practiced in a leading Australian fertility center and brings her wealth of experience and expertise to the Natural Fertility Prescription Coaching Program. So once again, welcome, Catherine. Um, and you're in Australia right now. Where are you in Australia? Hi, Charlene. I'm in Melbourne, so down the south of Australia. Okay, wonderful. All right. So uh, thanks for having us on. I want to give just a ton of value um, for our listeners time. I know that, you know, here in the United States, that's where I'm experienced in treating fertility. There are millions of couples that are um, dealing with fertility issues. And I know that you um, treat couples um, in Australia and abroad. So I know that um, you are, you know, consistently talking to people who are really having a hard time with fertility absolutely. challenges. Absolutely. It feels, you know, well, of course, it feels to me like everybody has some degree of fertility challenge. I'm always a bit surprised when people conceive naturally because, <laughs> and easily because it yeah. seems that there is just so much of, of so many fertility issues that are occurring these days. Yes, everybody knows someone. And if you don't, it's because a lot of people feel ashamed about it for some That's reason right. and it's they, they keep it private about it still. Yeah. Which so. I think it's a pity. I think, you know, it's, it is so common and it's such, it can be such a, a devastating uh, experience to go through and so challenging. So I think that the more that people can speak about it openly, the better. Absolutely. I mean, I just think that um, people uh, talk about it as very isolating, right? Very isolating. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They keep it private and, um, yeah, miscarry and no one knows about it. And then you just have to go to work or just deal with your everyday life as if nothing just devastating really happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, how did you get into the field of natural fertility? Oh, well, <laughs> I, um, I was actually really impressed by the effects of naturopathy when I was a kid. Um, because my mother actually uh, suffered uh, lifelong eczema. And uh, she actually went to see a naturopath and afterwards she was well for 10 years. It was unbelievable how, uh, how the difference that the naturopath uh, made for her. And she'd seen every doctor and specialist under the, sky, under the sun, no relief. Um, so the results were extremely impressive. Um, and it's funny because the um, naturopath was Chinese. So I always thought that naturopathy was something that came from the East and you couldn't study it here. But um, when I was looking through the university guide when I was 17, I saw that it was offered in Australia and I just got enormous butterflies in my stomach. Um, I just knew that that was something I wanted to do. And previously I'd wanted to be a chiropractor, but when I learned I could actually be a naturopath, that's when I instantly knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so I did. 
Um, and then towards the end of my studies, I started developing an interest in the female reproductive system. And I straight away went on to do the postgraduate study in natural fertility education. Uh, so that's where I learned to teach women to identify their, their fertile windows in their cycle and to be able to use conception, uh, so to use it for natural conception, uh, contraception and also conception. Uh, I began running workshops on the topic and working with my clients, which then developed into a passion for treating fertility issues. Uh, so I then went on to practice from a large fertility clinic in Melbourne. Uh, so that's where I developed a lot of experience working with couples who are doing IVF and with very complex fertility issues, as well as lots of pregnant women who uh, were successful. Uh, and then so when I was on my long service leave, I was living in Italy, uh, just actually discovered the wonders of practicing over Skype. And uh, so when I returned to live in Melbourne, uh, that's when I began coaching for the natural fertility prescription program with Eva Keen. That's great. And I mean, there, you know, I mean, my experience with you is that you're extremely knowledgeable, but um, also something that I think is equally important. You're extremely empathetic and kind, and um, you seem to have a real understanding. Um, do you, is this from, you know, personal experience? I mean, do you have, do you have any children or, you know, how does this kind of, it yeah. seems like you're a very kind hearted person, <laughs> uh, you know, by nature, to, but, uh, you know, blow my own trumpet, but yeah, I'm probably that way by nature. Um, uh, which is probably a good and a bad thing for me. Um, but, yeah, I am actually currently 15 weeks pregnant. Okay. Um, very, very exciting. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I, am, I have actually had a journey, um, which has certainly deepened my understanding um, and my empathy towards women who are trying to conceive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, three and a half years ago, uh, my partner and I found out that his sperm wasn't really optimal for um, conception. And, yeah, particularly after working uh, with fertility patients for so long, I did find this very challenging. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think when you're working in this field, you know, you sort of need to be a little bit cocky. You think, oh, well, you know, that's not going to happen to me because mm -hmm. then you can just be completely, you know, present with your patients. So when I did learn that that could potentially be a, um, a problem for us, uh, yeah, it was quite challenging to uh, to learn. But luckily, my husband is very, uh, very into having children. Um, he wanted them as much and possibly if not more than I did. Mm -hmm. So he did absolutely everything he possibly could to improve his health and also his fertility. And, of course, I knew what to do to help him. And we also sought the assistance of our own naturopath. Uh, just because, you know, that's better for somebody else to tell my husband what to do rather than mm -hmm. me telling what to yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Much better for the relationship. And, um, yeah, and this actually, his, uh, his fertility issues is actually what inspired us to take long service leave and go and travel in Europe. Um, we wanted to have a break from work and life and just some time to work on our own health and also have some downtime and um, also have some adventures before children did finally come along. Um, which we were quite lucky because we, when we found that out, we were in our early 30s. So we sort of didn't have the time pressure that, you know, a lot of our clients do have. Uh, but, yeah, it was really good for me to take that break. Uh, it was great mentally that I wasn't working with fertility patients full-time mm -hmm. throughout that time. I was still working with some clients on Skype, but just have that break from working full-time was sort of able to allow me to actually focus on my health as well. 
Um, but yeah, and as, as frightening as it was to think that maybe we wouldn't be able to have our own children and maybe also that we'd need to do IVF, um, I think that experience has actually definitely added to my empathy um, that I have for my clients and certainly increased my compassion and also my drive to, to want to help people as much as I possibly can and also seeing that, you know, I know that what I do works, but to actually experience that for myself has given me, you know, even more of a of a passion and a, yeah, and a drive to help people to do the same thing. You know, a couple things um, I thought about when you were telling me the story about your husband, and I, I think we'll talk about this uh, during the podcast is that's kind of an overlooked issue, right? It, it, all the focus is on the woman, but more and more research is showing that, I mean, men are 50% of the equation that sperm quality has decreased year after year. And uh, a lot of times it is a male factor, that mm -hmm. is causing the, the infertility issues, right? Absolutely. And I see this time and time and time again where, you know, I can see a couple who has tried to conceive for, you know, two, three years. And, mm -hmm. you know, we see, I have a look at their sperm analysis from, from, all those, from all those years. And, you know, right at the beginning, you'll see that the sperm analysis is suboptimal. And the, the problem is with, with the sperm analysis these days is because the w, the World Health Organization changed the reference range, particularly when it comes to morphology, so the shape of the, of the sperm. Mm -hmm. They changed that to normal being um, 4, 4%, only 4% of the sperm actually have to be normal shape to actually be considered a normal sperm analysis. Now, I think this is a real problem because it used mm -hmm. to actually be 15%. It had to be over 15% um, over to be considered normal. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, we're getting these sperm analysis back. They say, oh, yeah, 4% morphology, that's normal. But it's not optimal for conception. It's not optimal for natural conception. And also the reason that they changed those guidelines is because, because it's an average of what men are actually of the morphology that comes back on the sperm analysis these days they did an average of it to see what what you know <laughs> to get that reference range but mm -hmm. as, as i said that's that's not optimal for conceiving so i think it's disturbing you know when you hear those numbers it's like i think it really is it's you know yeah sperm mm -hmm. counts have dropped dramatically mm -hmm. sperm morphology has really been impacted by you know and, and what is causing it well we we, you know, we think that it's it's um, environmental issues and and health issues. People consuming lots of alcohol, smoking, um, certainly uh, impact of of negative lifestyle issues that are affecting people's health and therefore their fertility. Mm -hmm. Well, but you know, yeah, what I, was... I see this. I see this for sperm analysis from you know years ago, and yep. and it's barely been touched on. You know, let alone worked on. And and since then, the woman has had all sorts of um, procedures and you know they have been working on their health but you know the guy's been pretty much overlooked mm -hmm. I know in my practice rarely would the man ever come come in you know it, it was really all the woman that was getting treated I mean another thing I'd love to have your husband possibly as a guest in the future because I mean yes. that's and that's kind of the experiences that, you know, men get their, their sperm analysis and it's quote unquote, okay. And now we know, okay, okay, could be 4%. And then they sort of go, well, I'm fine. And, you know, and, and then they go off and just pretty much, you know, proceed with the same lifestyle, et cetera. And then, right. um, it, and then fertility issues seem to kind of continue on for some couples years and years, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 
you know, and then if we are able to correctly uh, analyze these, the sperm analysis and say, okay, this is in the normal range, but actually it's not optimal, you need mm-hmm. to do this, 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 well, that, that gives the, the guy a lot more incentive to actually, you know, want to cut out smoking or stop drinking or, you know, reduce their alcohol consumption. Whereas if the, if the fertility specialists or their doctors are saying to them, oh, your sperm's fine, well, they've got no incentive to make those changes. Sure. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Can you tell our listeners, our audience about your approach to helping couples with fertility issues? Yeah, sure. So I'm extremely thorough in my approach. I love to know everything about the people that I'm working with so that then I can make them the most informed possible recommendations. Uh, So then we recommend further assessments um, and individual dietary and lifestyle changes that would be necessary for each person. Um, I'd also make recommendations for stress relief and exercise and also recommend other practitioners or specialists that they may need to see. Um, Particularly, I love to have my patients also seeing an an acupuncturist. I also like to do genetic testing to find out what polymorphism they might have so that then I can assess what actual forms of each nutrient that person needs for their individual uh, situation and also which other supplements might be good for them. And I also like to, um, to work out how to make people's lives better. So when we're treating fertility, we often say you don't need to cut out all the fun stuff, so caffeine and sugar and dairy and wheat. And so I like to find, help people to find a way in which they can uh, do that in their lives um, but so that it continues to be fun and healthy. And um, people can actually often be surprised by how much their lives can improve when they're trying to conceive because when you're actually looking for other activities then, you know, that don't involve going out drinking or meeting for a coffee, you can actually find more interesting and engaging ways to activities to do in your life. Okay, well, that's positive. I, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I followed the instructions to a T, but I mean, I'm someone who, I mean, I'm health oriented. I do love my coffee and I do love my wine. I thought it was tough, but then I thought it was worth it. You know, like, I feel like you have this window of opportunity. um, And we'll talk about that also that, and we shouldn't feel this kind of crazy pressure because of age, but um, really this time to, um, you know, prepare our bodies to support a pregnancy. And um, so I was willing to kind of give up these things, but it's, yeah, it, it's challenging. It's challenging. It, it can be yeah. really challenging. So yeah, finding ways which it doesn't just completely devastate people's lives is, mm-hmm. is a really important factor in my practice. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, um, you were pretty, you lived a pretty healthy lifestyle. Is there anything that you felt like you had to really change to um, when you were trying to conceive? Yeah, so I do live a very healthy lifestyle and having studied naturopathy since I was 19, I have pretty much lived a very healthy lifestyle. Um, It was more for us digging deeper. So, uh, you know, for us it was looking into gut parasites and... um, yeah, doing the genetic testing to find out what polymorphisms we had, um, just going that deeper, deeper level um, and being a lot more thorough in, mm-hmm. in what we're looking at. So for us, we were already, I mean, we probably, uh, we ate more vegetables. Um, I, yeah, definitely cut out some alcohol. I didn't drink coffee anyway. Cutting out coffee was harder for Luke. Um but he did really well with that and found other things. You know, he, he became obsessed with turmeric lattes. <laughs> what, what are they? 
<laughs> turmeric lattes. Oh, turmeric lattes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he found alternatives. He found alternatives to to drinking beer and to drinking alcohol. So okay, yeah. maybe Certainly maybe loving it now that I am pregnant, but he was maybe really... in the notes we can we can give his turmeric latte uh, recipe. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? And so you really didn't have to, you know, um, cut cut out that much. But oh, what I was going to ask you is, you've talked a couple times about genetic polymorphisms. That is not common terminology. So you're going to have to give us a little bit more information oh, about yes. that. Yeah. So, uh, well, probably a lots of people who are trying to conceive have maybe heard of the MTHFR gene mutation. Yes. So that is a genetic polymorphism. So. Uh, that's when you have a mutation in uh, one of your genetics and which prevents you from absorbing certain nutrients. Okay. And, and that, I mean, okay, I'm in the health field, so I don't know if people are hearing this more and more, but it seemed like, I don't know, close to a decade ago, you really didn't hear about genetic polymorphisms, yeah. MTHFR gene mutations. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is a thing. And yeah, so, so I would say uh, I became aware of the MTHFR gene mutation uh, probably five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, uh, you know, the uh, now we can map our genome, you know, we can, we can do the 23andMe testing and find out lots more about our genome and uh, about other genetic SNPs. So, yeah, it's certainly an area that's really uh, made a lot of advancements and it's really helped us in the fertility field. Okay, so, I mean, kind of bring that into like a, a real life scenario. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have a genetic polymorphism. Okay, so, I mean, how does that affect someone's fertility? Um, okay, so, uh, for instance, the MTHFR gene mutation, uh, that means that they have a reduced ability to absorb folate. Hmm. So what happens is if that's, uh, I actually see that in a lot of guys with morphology issues in their sperm. Um, and the reason being is because uh, folate is, as, as we know, you know, you need to take folate to uh, prevent neural tube issues. So, um, and also, you know, to have healthy chromosomes. So if you are not absorbing the folate, then you're not creating healthy chromosomes and therefore you will not have healthy sperm. So what happens then if, you know, somebody has an MTHFR gene mutation, we will uh, give them an alternative form of folate. So that might be uh, folinic acid or methylfolate, depending on the person and depending on their, uh, depends on a few things. It's a little bit complex to go into here. Uh, but we will give them either one of those folates. And what it does is it, it, it bypasses that, that mutation that prevents them from absorbing and convert, or converting the folate to folinic acid in the first place. So we give the folinic acid so that they can then uh, absorb it. And I have certainly seen uh, men's uh, sperm analysis, you know, really improve in, in that situation. Uh, when they start taking that folate for three months. Also, women who've had recurrent miscarriage, if they have this MTHFR mutation, this could be potentially a cause because they're not, um, they're not able to um, have healthy chromosomal development and uh, therefore the, the fetus doesn't develop correctly and they, they therefore miscarry. Okay, I mean, that's very important information. I was told that about 40% of the population has this MTHFR gene mutation. Yeah. Is that okay? I, yeah, uh -huh. I'm actually not entirely sure of the statistics, but uh -huh. um, in my fertility practice where I test most of my clients, I've, uh, it's very rare that I'll see somebody who doesn't have any form of uh, MTHFR mutation. 
And I know so many people who've miscarried and have multiple miscarriages and then um, to go around and never, I don't know if, if you don't go to a naturopathic physician, physician or someone who's kind of schooled in this type of testing, you might never get tested for it. And then you would not be able to absorb folate or convert folic acid and then continuously have this issue. So this is kind of, I mean, this is big, right? I mean, it's, it's really knowledge that we need to know about. And it's, um, it's actually huge. And I'm always, um, whenever I hear about somebody who's having recurrent miscarriages and is not seeing a naturopath, I, I just think what, what's going to happen? How are they going to improve? Because if, you know, if they're not seeing a physician who knows about these things and, um, knows, uh, you know, sort of knows the, the the more thorough testing to do, then you know, or, or then how to treat that testing. Then you know, where I think it's really problematic. I know for, uh, in Australia, also that um, you have to actually have three miscarriages to be able to go to a miscarriage clinic, and for them to do a whole gamut of testing to find out what's actually causing them. Wow! And, you know, I think three is way too many. You know, one is too that's, many. That's a lot. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. So good. Thanks for, you know, bringing that to light. I think that's so important and, you know, to work. I mean, that's one of the important reasons to work with a naturopathic physician because that type of testing or that specializes in fertility because you would know that type of testing and et cetera. So what are some of the biggest underlying factors that you see that cause uh, infertility? You know, we talked about a couple um, that well oh you know what let me back up for a second you keep talking you refer to folate but actually i think most people know it as folic acid so that's something that we should just discuss for a minute because folic acid is what is in primarily a lot of prenatal vitamins etc right and what we were what we're always told um we should be taking folic acid so if you the scenario is if you have the mthfr gene mutation you don't know about it and you're taking folic acid um what you know, what results from that? Uh, it depends on the extent of the MTHFR gene mutation, but what it can actually do is folic acid can actually uh, block the receptor and therefore not um, not allow you to absorb uh, the folic acid. So, so folinic acid is actually found in green vegetables. So, um, anybody who's trying to conceive or is pregnant, uh, although in the first trimester that's very difficult, is I was going to say to eat lots of green vegetables mm-hmm. um, because then you actually are, you're, they contain that folinic acid so that will bypass that, um, that mutation if you have it and actually absorb um, the, the folate. You will then be able to absorb folic acid into your system. Uh, so... Sorry, what what was the question? Sorry, I've lost my well, I, I just, um, I guess, I mean, the question that kind of came to mind is most people, um, when they take a prenatal, I mean, there's so many prenatals out there, a lot of them have folic acid, but if you're not able to absorb folic acid because you have a genetic polymorphism, yes, then yeah, it, exactly. it, is it just better to look for a prenatal that has folate acid? Fo- um, Folinic acid, acid just in case you might have that. Absolutely. I would never give anybody now a a prenatal that has folic acid in it. I would always make sure that it's got. So the other name for it is calcium folinate. Calcium folinate. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So just, um, just to kind of keep that in mind. 
So then segueing to so my next... saying that, yeah. um, I don't know how readily available they, those supplements are over the counter. Uh, mm-hmm. They're certainly uh, in the um, in the practitioner uh, supplements that we can prescribe, but I yeah I don't to be honest I don't know and I certainly don't know in the US or anywhere else other than Australia um, how often that folinic acid is actually in the supplements. I, I don't think very much. I see. Okay. Okay. So I mean that's another reason to work with. Um, a practitioner, a naturopathic physician, and you can get practitioner grade supplements and work out the dosage, et cetera. Okay. That's good to keep in mind. So Catherine, generally speaking, what are some of the um, biggest underlying factors that you see that cause infertility and what are some of the ways couples can find out, you know, what's causing the fertility problems for them? Yeah. So um, I'd say some of the biggest underlying factors uh, that cause infertility Uh, autoimmune issues uh, that's a really big one so you might have thyroid antibodies or anti-nuclear antibodies Uh, this is just a simple test uh, through your GP uh, or primary care practitioner Uh, thyroid issues you can have your uh, TSH tested and that will give us some uh, important information as to what your thyroid is up to Uh, progesterone deficiency is a big one so having your uh, progesterone tested at day 21 of your cycle or seven days post ovulation Uh, genetic polymorphisms that's probably a bit harder to get checked you probably need referral from well actually no you can get uh, an mthfr gene mutation tested through uh, your your doctor Uh, being overweight is certainly a cause of infertility and as we discussed before sperm issues so um, having having the guy have a, um, a sperm analysis as soon as you have any trouble conceiving, I think is, is almost the number one step. Um, and also, so I also see a lot of sperm analysis that just have the regular um, count, viscosity, um, morphology, motility, but actually what is also very important is the DNA fragmentation. Uh, this costs a little bit more. Um, in Australia it's another few hundred dollars but is absolutely necessary to work out what the chromosomes are doing and how intact your DNA is. Is there okay is there like a a testing lab in in the US that you can recommend um, if if someone wants to get you know the DNA fragmentation of the sperm? Well that's a great question actually because for um, Uh, to have a sperm analysis done don't ever just go to a regular pathology center you must go to an IVF clinic Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, the IVF clinics are doing it all day every day that's what their job is whereas if you go to a a regular pathology lab they they don't do it very often and they're just not as experienced in it so to get Hmm. an actual accurate sperm analysis it must be done in an IVF clinic. Ooh, that's a good tip because um, I remember with my husband, he just went to a regular, you know, you just go to a regular lab and I think that's kind of yeah. commonplace. Um, you know, I wanted to bring, you know, I wanted to ask you something. Okay. So I, I know that you see a ton of this uh, clinically uh, thyroid issues. Um, a, a lot of times, you know, 
um, a woman can have a lot of the signs and symptoms of thyroid issue, but then they go to a lab and get it tested and then they fall within ranges. But yes. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Like the ranges? For, so that's so a very, also a <laughs> question, Charlene. Um, so the interesting thing is with the reference range for TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, it, it falls somewhere between 0.5 and 4.5. Whereas for fertility and I would say for optimal thyroid health, it actually needs to stick between one and two. So even if somebody has a TSH of 2.2, I would think, okay, it looks like they've got a subclinical hypothyroid issue going on. And it, it particularly if they're, if they're uh, trying to conceive and also if they are symptomatic, then they absolutely need to be treated to get that TSH between that reference range of one and two. Mm, thank you. Absolutely. Because I think those those large reference ranges, they don't work with fertility. And yet that's mm. kind of, it's so commonplace. And then a, a women, you know, especially a it's woman. It's very common. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. a lot of the time people pick up their thyroid issue if they are doing their basal body temperature uh, thermometer testing mm -hmm. in the morning. And, you know, if it's just, if it's a bit low, then, mm -hmm. you know, that's a very good indication that, um that actually there might be a thyroid issue going on. Mm -hmm. And just to, uh, you know, I don't want to go down too far into the thyroid thing, but I think it's so important for fertility. I mean, what do you see as kind of some underlying factors for thyroid issues? Because so many women are having fertility issues. The thyroid is often a culprit. I mean, just, mm -hmm. just the thyroid just one day, just malfunction or is it something about their diet or something about that's creating, you know, this, because I know it's kind of all linked to the adrenals and the hormones and mm -hmm. uh, food sensitivities. Like what, you know, is there something underlying that's creating that imbalance? Um, I think it's too complex to say that there's one thing. Okay. Um, or it, it's such a combination of things. The thyroid is very sensitive uh, and it can even respond, you know, uh, minimally to changes that happen in the body and the TSH can move around quite a lot. So mm, hard to say, but yeah, certainly I think, uh, you know, stress is involved. And as you said, the adrenals, um, it's sort of connected with every system in the body. So it mm -hmm. would also be indicative of, you know, of, of a you know, a sort of unhealthy system, I guess, and then to mm. help to bring that TSH into range and then work with the body, then, you know, it all works in together. Okay. But, but like food sensitivities can throw it off and I guess a stressful lifestyle and, and, and different yeah. things. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems very sensitive as, as you say. So you kind of have to do some investigative work, it sounds like, to figure That's out. Right. Yeah. So instead of just yeah. like, Sometimes, you know, women are put on Synthroid or Naturethroid or, or whatever, but then really what's kind of the underlying thing is never addressed. And then they That's go, well, I'm on this medication now and it, I don't feel that much better being on Exactly, it. yeah, because mm -hmm. their thyroid might be in range, but their adrenal glands may be completely depleted. And uh -huh. so, yeah, so exactly the core of the issue hasn't been dealt with. Okay, so uh, another question. I know adrenals, you know, a, a lot of 
um, women have adrenal issues. And one of the main, like main things is just being really fatigued and kind of feeling that frazzled. Is there one tip that you can um, give us like a practical tip of kind of taking care of our adrenals? Cause that kind of helps yeah. take care right. of us in general. Rest. <laughs> uh-huh. Like what kind of, what kind of rest though? Six well, hours a night and Oh, no, I mean, you need eight to nine hours of sleep okay. every night. Um, but even that, you know, if you leave, so that, uh, let's let's go back a step and explain the adrenals. So I like to talk about the adrenals as kind of being the seat of your energy center. Okay. So it's your adrenals are responsible for releasing adrenaline when you are stressed. Um, and the problem these days is that, um, you know, we're stressed all the time, you know, in, in Back caveman days, you know, we would we'd um, go hard. We'd go after, you know, a, an animal. We'd kill it, and that would be stressful. And then we, you know, we'd have some downtime. Mm -hmm. But these days, we live. Most of us live in cities, and we're, you know, uh, uh, there's, you know, there's um, there's lots of pollution, and there's lots of traffic around, and you know, there's things to look out for, and people on the street, and you know, our brains are constantly looking out for danger, and you know, we're working. Uh, quite often quite the high, highly stressful job so adrenaline is being constantly released from the adrenal glands to help us cope with the stressful situations so more and more the adrenal glands in every day they are being depleted so each day um and more you know more than just getting sleep we need to we need to rest so you know whether people meditate or whether they do yoga or you know, um, exercise can be relaxing for some people, um, you know, going for a swim, going for a walk, just doing something that is relaxing and that you find enjoyment from that's not actually causing your body to release that adrenaline. That's, that's how we restore our adrenal glands. Okay. And so sufficient sleep, I mean, it doesn't matter what time you say eight, eight to nine hours, doesn't matter what time you go to sleep or, you know, any, anything I like think that. It does restaurant. depend what time you go to bed. Um, so the uh, melatonin is highest at around nine to 10 PM. So if, and that's the hormone that uh, helps you relax and helps you sleep. So if we can actually get to bed at around nine or 10 o'clock at night, uh, we're actually making the most of, of that melatonin and that's helping. That's an incredible antioxidant as well. People who are trying to improve their quality or doing IVF might know about melatonin. It's a phenomenal uh, antioxidant. So if we're going to bed at those times, we're getting the benefit of that melatonin. It's dark. We're not uh, exposed to uh, artificial light. Then our melatonin can really work in our bodies, help us sleep well and, and repair at the same time. And tying it back to fertility, I mean, then it restores the adrenals, right? And that yeah. helps balance with hormones. And yeah, okay, yeah, I, sleep. Yes, yeah. sleep is very important for for the adrenal glands, but uh, it's not enough to restore the adrenal glands. You also need to be having a, a low. You know, uh, if if you have depleted adrenal glands, you need to to be able to heal that. You need to have a low stress lifestyle, and you need to be make sure you're getting adequate rest throughout the day as well. Okay, so if you're trying to conceive, it's it's your time to just shut off everything. the The iPhone, get it out of your yeah. room. Turn off the absolutely the Wi the Wi Fi. Absolutely. Possibly in your whole house. I don't know, but uh, yeah, make yeah. it really dark, right? And yeah, 
create yeah, a good like, sleep environment and i really mean your sleep environment gets yeah. better yeah you're preparing your body for a monumental task so um yeah. don't don't underestimate that actually interesting um uh, just a, on a personal note, it's funny because my partner Luke, he's always been uh, a total night owl and, mm -hmm. you know, getting to bed before 11 or 12 o'clock is, is always difficult. And he recently had a, a career change from uh, social work uh, where he was sort of working a sort of nine to five job where, you know, so he didn't have to get it. He didn't have to go to bed before 12 really because he could mm -hmm. kind of get up at eight and get to work by nine. And he's uh, had a career change to carpentry. So he's now a tradie and starts work at 7 a.m. Okay. And needs to leave home at about 6.30. So yes. <laughs> I think what's been amazing for us is that he is now going to bed at, at 9 to 10 o'clock at night. And I am as well because, you know, he's, he's just that's what's happening in the house. Mm -hmm. So we're going to bed early. And I'm not sure if it was a coincidence that we conceived <laughs> when, <laughs> when that started oh, happening. But right. It, the difference in my health and in his health was yeah. uh, quite astounding and we both noticed how much better we felt from going to bed early and we still do and we feel great. I, I need it. I used to be a night owl too and I need it. And I know um, all the tradespeople I know that have really early mornings, I mean, they're asleep by 8.30 or 9. Yeah, you just kind of right. have to be. Yeah, <laughs> I guess working physically with your body wears exactly. you out versus just um, like, you know, sitting behind a computer or, you know, kind of desk work type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Sleep is uh, so important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a little one, so I just know if I'm tired, my patience level goes way down and that's not fair to her. So I'm, I'm in bed with her yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about some um, myths around infertility. I know there's tons of myths around it. I don't even know all the myths, but um, I guess you are in the trenches and you hear different things. And I guess some that sort of, maybe some myths that people have about infertility or fertility that surprise you. You're yeah, going, really? So, you believe that? Or, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, the first one I'd probably say with that is a funny one. So, um, it, people, some people believe that you need to orgasm to make a baby. Okay. And that is not true. Um, yep. I certainly do believe um, that an intimate and healthy connection between the couple is ideal, but that is absolutely a myth. Okay. So don't feel people who are trying to conceive don't yeah. need to put pressure on themselves for that. I, I, I honestly, I did not know that that was a myth. I, I don't know how many people believe that, but I was going, to, we know the thought that came up was, um, I don't know how many women regularly have vaginal orgasms. So if that was really needed, um, with the population, probably, the population would be very, very low. It would be very low. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's the type of orgasm people, women feel like they need to have, but um, I, that's what I was told that it's, it's not as common. Okay. Yeah. Not and so, so okay. Just that one. All right. And, and so what is, you know, something else that um, we're led to believe that is not yeah, true. So the other one we've already touched on, um, but certainly the archaic idea that fertility issues are mostly to do with the female partner. And as you said before, the statistics show that it's actually 50-50. So, yeah, I find this and, you know, I harp on about it because this is something if I could make a big change in the world, this is what I would like to do. You know, I'd like people to know that, that, that it's half men and half women. 
Um, and, and I feel that it's so damaging because, as I said before, I often see couples who've, who've tried to conceive for years and years and she's had every test under the sun. She's had the proscopies, the ultrasounds, you know, hycoses where they flush out the tubes. She might have also had ovulation-inducing drugs, maybe undergone IVF. And then I see the sperm results and they can be borderline or, or potentially even terrible. And this has just been overlooked as an issue. So, um, you know, and often uh, this might be reiterated by the fertility specialist because when they go off to do IVF, he'll have a look and he or she, sorry, and and they'll say, oh, the sperm's not great. Well, that's okay. We'll just do ICSI, which is mm-hmm. the... Uh, where they inject the sperm into the egg and what they think what they do is they take a healthy looking sperm and, and inject it into the egg but the problem with doing this as we you know as i mentioned before is the sperm morphology so when you're looking at the sperm you can't actually see what the morphology is like so if the sperm actually has dna issues then ICSI will not be able to um, bypass the issue um, and and either will iui so yeah, so that's 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 a myth I would love to be able to dispel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, before I was educated on it, I absolutely thought that when a man got a sperm parameters checked, if they kind of gave it an okay, that I don't know, I didn't even look into it further what okay really meant. So that was a real eye opener for me. Um, also, I mean, to just you know what you were saying when. So an, I, so an IVF clinic will not necessarily look at the DNA of the sperm when, so when they're doing the ICSI procedure, uh, so what happens, like, are, they're, they're looking at, I mean, they're, they're taking that batch of sperm, right, but, um, and they're trying to, and they're selecting out whatever a few that look the best out of it. I was told that, like, the batch is really important, too, because if there's DNA issues in that batch, I mean, you're taking the good out of, a potentially poor batch, but you're taking the best out of that sort of poor batch. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and that's where, you know, with natural conception, you know, the, the best sperm are going to win. Yeah. Uh, whereas with ICSI, it's just, it's, it's up to the person on the microscope. And uh-huh. I think, you know, yes. And I, I, I don't often see that IVF clinics will actually test DNA fragmentation. And I think what, what I think is unfortunate for the fertility specialists is because they don't have training in nutrition, um, they, don't actually, they don't actually know what to do to improve sperm issues. Their mm. answer to that is ICSI. So it's not really worth it to them to test this because it's kind of like, well, they can't do anything about it even if they do. They don't have all the knowledge that we do to be able to actually improve the sperm. You know, they don't know about the antioxidants and the supplements and the, the polymorphisms and anything else that could potentially be causing the sperm issues. So that's I think that's a big problem. And I... Um, in, in Melbourne, we are lucky because there are a couple of fertility specialists who are, who are aware of the work that natural fertility specialists do, and they do actually, if there are sperm troubles, then they will actually refer mm-hmm. uh, back to us and they will say, you know, go off and see the naturopath for six, three to six months and come back to me and we'll do the, if we still need to do IVF, then, then we will. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, also, you know, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, there's a number of IVF clinics too. They'll refer to an acupuncturist to work with the clients beforehand and during the embryo transfer and to naturopaths, to nutritionists. 
absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, that's how it should be. I have a really good name for that, and I think acupuncture's done really well because you know there are, you know, there have been uh, studies and research done mm. to show that 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 acupuncture um, does actually improve IVF success and outcomes, which I think is just fantastic. I think it's. I mean, I think it's somewhat irresponsible of IVF clinics to not kind of incorporate other specialists because, I mean, they want to improve their success rates. They yeah. want to make their clients happy. And, and it's extremely yeah. devastating to go through around multiple rounds of IVF, um, yeah. mentally, emotionally, financially. Um, oh, so yeah. why wouldn't you, you know, do everything that you could um, yeah. to increase the chances of that? And I think that's changing, isn't it? It's changing. IVF clinics are yeah, are becoming more and more open to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we get newer and younger new fertility specialists in, there's more potential of that. I think, you know, quite a lot of the old one, older um, IVF specialists, they're, they're stuck in their ways mm-hmm. and they're not into it. But, you know, as we see more and more younger uh, fertility specialists coming in, then, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have more change in that area. Absolutely. Um, any, any other any other myths to dispel or it was oh, that's that? That's all I've got that comes to mind. Yeah, but, yeah, I think just, the yeah, you know, I think it is a myth that, that there isn't anything you can do about sperm health. And, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, is is this... Is this factual? Is it pretty um, simple for a man to improve his sperm health? I mean, like, I would say very, yes. Yeah, yes. It's not if we bad. find out if we find out what is causing it. Uh-huh. If we dig deep and and look into into those factors, if the man is compliant, if he will cut out coffee, if he will cut out alcohol, if he will stop smoking or taking drugs. Um, and he will eat well and he will take his supplements, then I find that we have very good success rates. So, I mean, simple enough. It's some lifestyle changes. It can make a huge difference. So, if you know, I think that if men are educated about that, um, they'll do it, you know. So many men want families. They don't want to be the one that's – holding that up like like your husband who who i'm going to get on as a guest and he'll he'll talk about his experience <laughs> with it because i think that's so empowering you know and and then then men can like listen to him and kind of yeah. you know what his yeah. emotional process was with it um yeah okay dr Catherine, what would you say to couples who feel like they've done everything right but nothing is working because yeah know, people okay. are really taking good care of themselves lifestyle wise and you know every, yeah. everything else yeah, so then I would say keep persevering, um, but also continue to seek support from professionals. Um, so don't try to do it all alone. Um, seek out those, those professionals who have that information and that expertise and experience and, and really get that help and, and do everything that you can to have your health, your body and mind in a healthy place. So I think a lot of the time people bypass the their mind. You know, they just think, "Oh, you just got to push on. You've just, you know, I've got to be stoic. I've got to be strong. I've got to mm-hmm. do this." But also, you need counselling alongside this process because it's it's hard. It's one of the hardest things, and also relationship counselling. I think is very important because as a couple, because uh, often fertility issues is that can be the hardest thing that the couple has ever gone through together, and it might even be the first hard thing that they've gone through together. So. Seeking that mm-hmm. support from a professional, I think, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I, I heard it compared to um, 
you know, a, a death or, or being diagnosed with a chronic health condition as stressful as that. And I, I think, you know, it can be very, um, uh, you, you know, it can feel very lonely for a couple, but also many couples within that relationship aren't talking about their kind of inner fears if, if, if it's going to um, devastate and their relationship. It can, can, can be resentment, you know, if, the, if yeah. the male is the is the problem, you know, if he's got the fertility issues and, you know, she can have massive resentments every month, you know, she's going through either charting her temperature or eating well and, you know, she's the one who's, checking her ovulation and then she's the one who has to go through the two-week wait every month Mm -hmm. um, and wondering if she's pregnant and you know are my boobs sore you know oh am I bloated oh have my bowels changed you know Mm -hmm. um, all that sort of thing can can lead to massive resentments and if the couple's not talking about it or they're not having counseling then that can be very uh, destructive for the relationship it builds up doesn't it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and then men I don't know about all men, but you know, men aren't the ones. I don't want to call up my guy friends and talk about this. They just kind of silently suffer and um, yeah. internalize everything. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, find support um, with counseling and whatever you need to do. It, it's a people just they sort of minimize it in a, in a sense. I mean, it's monumental, but like they sort of minimize how stressful it's going to be. And then, you know, a year goes by or whatever, and it's, it's kind of overtaken a lot of couples lives and uh, don't minimize it. It's extremely, can be extremely stressful and uh, you need support around that. Um, You know, any, any, any other um, advice to give to couples? Yeah, I would say, um, This is a this is something that really helped me during that time. So um, I'd say to keep living your life. Um, and something. So when we found out about Luke's sperm, I um, I, I had this uh, thing inside me that I that I said to myself, and that is that I said it out loud, and I said I don't want to live the life of a person without children. Okay. I'm going to say that again. So. My advice is to don't live a life of a person without children because I see that that what can happen to people is that their fertility struggles take over their lives and all they see is what they don't have. Um, They see uh, so what they don't have rather than seeing all the positives in their lives. So, you know, they, they notice babies everywhere. They see women who are pregnant, you know, families in the park and they constantly feel like they're missing out. But my advice and during this time is to continue to enjoy your life um, do things that make you happy and also do things that you couldn't do if you had children. Um, because if you speak to people who've got children, you know, they're envious of people who don't have children in a lot of ways, you know, they, of what they miss out on and what they can't do and how they can't be spontaneous. And, um, and, you know, most likely hopefully one day you will have children and you'll miss doing all those things that you couldn't do when you were, you know, footloose and fancy free. Mm. Um, so I think that's important. And I think, you know, uh, something that might help is to actually uh, write a list of all the things that you can do that your friends with children can't do. So what can you do now that you can't do when you've got children and, and, and focus on those things and do those things and, yeah, try and try and enjoy your life and, and try not to glamorize the life of people with children because, you know, we all know 
they're sleepless, you know, they're tired, Mm -hmm. exhausted, they're, you know, they've loved their children, of course, but, you know, life's not easy when you have children. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really good advice. And it's, it's obviously, you know, easier said than done, because depending on, I guess, your age, then like, oh, gosh, I'm feeling a ton of pressure about that. And I just, I'm sort of fixate, you know, it becomes, I guess, that second job or or part time job, you know, to get pregnant. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Now, what do you think about mainstream fertility treatments? And what is your biggest frustration with mainstream infertility? Yeah, sure. So I think that mainstream fertility treatments absolutely have their place. And that absolutely fantastic for people who really need them. Um, however, the problem that I see, um, and whether this is all over the world, or whether this is Australia, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, when a couple uh, can turn up to a doctor, say they've been trying to conceive for six months without success, and the doctor will then give them a, a referral for an IVF specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is really unfortunate because then they, they go to see the IVF specialist and they're, they're in the system, you know, they're, then they start having procedures done, they start... Um, you know, of course, they'll do a sperm analysis and then they'll recommend the woman have all sorts of procedures. But the problem is, is that, as I said before, the, those fertility specialists aren't trained in nutrition um, and they're, they're not necessarily uh, looking at the things that we do. So they they're not, might not be actually improving their fertility, but they're going through all these motions of procedures and, and then actually uh, when they can't find anything wrong, then they do IVF. And I, I think that's a real shame because... I think the the financial, the emotional and physical toll that is taken on people when they do IVF is is quite massive. And, um, yeah, my hope is that in the future that it will become uh, mainstream for doctors to recommend that their patients actually go and see a natural fertility specialist before they they refer them to IVF. Where's the profit in that? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, sorry, I was just being a little facetious. But um, (laughs) the thing is, I mean, two things come to mind. I I thought that if you went to see a fertility specialist, they would say, like, how how long have you been trying to conceive? Oh, six months. Okay, come back to me after a year, which I think is a little bit of a shame, because things could be done Mm. nutritionally and and so many, you know, different diagnostic tests steps could be taken at that time so that a couple doesn't have to go through 12, 12 months of frustration before they come back and go. Yeah, we start, yeah, yeah. They, will, they will start doing procedures and tests after six months, particularly if you are over 35. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they could um, be like learning how to chart their cycle, yeah, right? And learn, you know, they could, be, they could be missing the ovulation point or just using exactly. ovulation sticks and, and, and not knowing that it's not really accurate all the time. Yeah. So there's yeah. so many things, but also, um, I mean, do you think that this mindset kind of happens is, oh, we, we didn't conceive naturally, Th- then couples kind of get into the mindset, the only way we can conceive, because we tried for a certain period of time, is through IVF, like they don't even feel like they could conceive naturally, which that's I think right. that's a, that's a myth, yeah, then, you know? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the problem is that um, people don't regularly know, uh, you know, it's not mainstream to know about seeing a naturopath or a natural fertility specialist. So they, they don't see that there are any other options other than trying to conceive naturally on your own or going to uh, do IVF. I think that's a shame. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I do too. Um, okay. So um, uh, another question is, what is your view on uh, diet for f fertility? And um, I guess, are there any foods that we should be avoiding? Uh, definitely. Definitely foods that you should be avoiding. Um, and probably lots of them. And that's because a lot of our foods that we consume now are processed and manufactured. Uh, they're very far removed from their natural form and loaded with sugar, salt, trans fats, um, and some a lot are even genetically modified. So, um, but in terms of whether we should be avoiding natural and processed foods, then there are barely any foods that we need to avoid. Uh, so a fertility diet to me is a diet that's actually healthy um, and keeps our bodies in optimal condition, provides all the nutrients to the cells um, for, to have our body functioning optimally. Um, and we can't expect to have a healthy body if we eat rubbish. And similarly, we can't expect to have good fertility if we're overweight or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, I think it's important to think that your fertility is, is often and not for everybody, but m most often is a reflection of your health. And, and certainly I see this correlation with sperm. Um, it would be very rare for me to see an unhealthy or overweight man with excellent sperm parameters. This rarely, really happens. Um, and when we see a seemingly healthy person with sport, poor sperm parameters, then this indicates that we need to dig a lot deeper. What's uh, overweight, know. though? I mean, you know, what, what's the definition of overweight at this point? Well, as far as I know, it's, it's anybody with a BMI over 25. Men, men and women? Men and being... women, yeah. Okay. That, that might be different. Um, I might not be up with the stats on that, but uh -huh. uh, as far as I know, BMI over 25 to 30 is overweight, and then anybody over 30 is obese. Okay, because you could pull up the BMI chart. You can Google it for... Yeah. Yeah, yep. and just and yes. find out Lots kind of, of where you're at. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, another thing that comes up is, you know, okay, so there's a thing about processed foods, processed foods, just is anything that's been kind of, you know, you find it in a box or packaging, it's been denatured yeah. somehow from its natural state. But nice. a healthy diet, I mean, gosh, that's sort of a loaded um, thing right now, because it, that's a moving target of what's considered healthy, isn't it? Because oh, sure. five years ago, a healthy diet was this, and now it's this. And and everyone yeah. has their own definition of it. So, I mean, is there, you're, you're talking about kind of whole foods, just whole foods. So organic, um, organic fruit and vegetables, uh, gluten-free whole grains, uh, nuts, seeds, organic meat, eggs, fish, uh, dairy, organic dairy, if you can tolerate it. Yeah. Well, you know, all that sort of stuff that's not, that's not processed. So, in, you mm. know, make your food from scratch and, you know, I mean, you can't do that a hundred percent of the time, but if you can do it 90% of the time, then fantastic. Mm. Re read the, um, read ingredients. I guess if you're reading ingredients, you're reading them off a box or a can. That's so right. that's, that's processed. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're reading them, don't eat it. Um, just if you yeah. just recognize uh, carrot, bell pepper, yep. celery, um, rice. chicken, rice. Um, okay. And, and what about like all these food sensitivities that are happening for people? I mean, do you have people check food sensitivities or yeah. just avoid certain Absolutely. foods? Okay. Yeah, no, certainly. I, um, I know that naturopaths have a bad reputation for um, taking people off a whole lot of food. Um, that's not my style, to be honest. Uh -huh. I, um, you know, I want people to be able to eat everything that's healthy. And then if still their system's not working, if their digestive function is not optimal, then we need to actually look at what foods they're, 
they're reacting to and, um, and, and then remove those foods from their diet if that's absolutely necessary. Okay, great. Um, what's your view on toxins and infertility? And, and what about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies? Yeah, so I am actually a big believer in the correlation between EMF radiation and fertility. Um, I like to look at it in this way that if radiation is used to kill cells in people with cancer, then radiation can't be the best thing to create healthy cells, so healthy egg and sperm cells. Um, fortunately, the research is really not there to support this. However, I think it's another similar situation to cigarettes that it's assumed to be safe and until finally proven otherwise. And I figure why wait up for the science, wait for the science to catch up um, when we can do our best to avoid it and in the process create healthy cells to create healthy babies. Um, and it's EMF, electromagnetic radiation is near impossible to avoid in our lives. Um, but the things we can do is keep our mobile phones as far away from our bodies as possible and switch it to airplane mode um, when they do need to be with us. So for the guys, uh, keep your phone out of your pocket and um, women keep it out of your handbag. But or well, if you do need to carry them in these places, then switch it onto airplane mode for that time. Uh, so then turn your Wi-Fi off at night. Um, I know laptops are aptly named to put your laptop on your lap, but actually try not to put it on your lap. Put it on the table as far as away from your reproductive area as possible. Uh, try to fly as little as possible. Uh, that's a good way we can reduce our exposure. And, and then taking also antioxidants can actually reduce the impact uh, of the radiation when we're exposed to it. Um, and then toxins. So, yeah, of course, they're a very important factor in our fertility. Uh, our world is full of chemicals. We wash our bodies and hair with them. We lather them all over our bodies. We spray them on ourselves to smell nice. We breathe them into our environment. We, we drink them in our water. Uh, and we even eat them because they've been sprayed on their food and practically everything we touch and use in our daily lives are made from them. So mm -hmm. this is a very, you know, getting rid of toxins in the body is very important part of the fertility program and also my treatment. Um, we need to identify where your chemical exposure is coming from and then support the body to get rid of them. Um, and, and this can certainly take time. And certainly the older the person is um, and longer it's going to take. And, and also if, if we've got heavy metals in our system, they can get locked into our tissues and, and often they don't want to budge. So we have our ways of getting them out, but it can take time. Mm -hmm. um, and also in terms of, uh, in relation to toxins and chemicals uh, is age. So um, I see many couples uh, where the, the partner, the male partner is, is maybe in his 50s and 60s and, and yeah, it's possible for a man to help conceive a child at this age but certainly my experience shows that the sperm health is op often compromised by then and, you know, I think this is due to a range of factors and um, one of those is the fact that they've been on the planet for 50, 60 years um, and that means they've been exposed to a whole lot more chemicals and toxins than someone in, say, their 30s or 40s. So for these people, we really need to make sure we take the time to stimulate the detoxification pathways and, and help clear them out. Um, yeah, and, and, and that time will take longer than someone who is younger. Okay, that makes sense. Those are, those are great tips. Um, are there any particular supplements or nutrients you would recommend to couples trying to conceive? Um, 
Yeah, for sure. And any any particular supplement companies that you like for fertility supplements as well? Yeah, you know. so that's that's really tricky because, um, of course, there are so many nutrients that can be beneficial for someone who's trying to conceive. And and as a practitioner, I'm I'm really interested in finding out what nutrients are necessary for your fertility. So, you know, for instance, people often ask me, "Is maca good for fertility?" And I say, "Well, that depends. You know, it depends what's happening in your body and what we need to improve your fertility." So, um, yeah, you'll see lots of uh, things on the internet and in advertising that will say, um, this is good for fertility, but, you know, is it good for your fertility? That's, mm. what, that's what's important to know. Um, you know, and we know that, um, yeah, so, you know, folate, uh, or as you know it as folic acid, is imperative to take for three months before trying to conceive. And also the research now shows that B3 is also very important to take. Um, and but so yeah, whenever someone's taking a B vitamin, I always uh, those B vitamins I always recommend that you take B vitamins together um, because it is a B vitamin complex because they the vitamins all work together in the body. Uh, and so the, the the thing is, I guess that the the over the counter supplements you can buy in your health food shop or. Uh, pharmacy uh, they're generally quite poor quality and i i wouldn't personally recommend that people take them so the supplements that Eva and i prescribe as part of the natural fertility prescription program they come from australia um, and that's because they're the highest quality supplements on the market and they can only be accessed with a, from a, a prescription from a practitioner so okay. yeah, I can't necessarily recommend any brands because they they are only accessible by a, a practitioner. Okay, uh, got it. Okay, I mean I know a lot of um, I mean a lot of supplements. I think they there's they are synthetic and they have fillers and um, your body sort of can't even recognize them as nutrients, right? As far as absorb yeah, absorption right. rates. Yeah, and as we talked about, you know, the, the polymorphisms, you just might be taking the completely wrong supplement for your body mm. and the wrong dose. You know, often mm. I see people say, oh, yeah, I'm taking CoQ10, but, you know, they might be taking 50 or 100 milligrams for fertility, and I think, well, it's not enough. You know, there's almost mm. no point in taking that supplement because you're just not taking the right dose. Dosage is pretty important, isn't it? Really and, uh, yeah. imperative to, to, to doing what uh -huh. we want to do when we're working on fertility. It's imperative. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's what you need guidance with. Um, yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's like in this information age, it's so um, it's so amazing all the information that you can access. But then sometimes it can kind of get you in a little bit of trouble because when you're having a health issue, you know, you just go on to Google and then you start looking at, at what other people are doing, and then it's kind of like, oh, I'm just going to take it all. But then mm -hmm. you're, I mean, it's like your body, your kidneys, and your liver, and they sort of have to detoxify all that and it could be kind of messing up with your system. And so it's, um, I, I say yeah. work, work with a professional who can really guide you in that process. Now, what is the biggest mistake people make when trying to conceive? Uh, so this might sound strange, but one of the biggest mistakes I see that people make is actually having too much sex in the beginning mm. when they start trying to conceive. Okay. Uh, they often don't know when they're ovulating, um, so they, they have sex all through the cycle, you know, just to be sure. Um, but what I see is over time, the longer it takes to have uh, to conceive, the sex um, 
you know, the sex people are having when they're trying to conceive is is often not their best sex and, you know, this can take a toll on the relationship. So, um, you know, it can feel time pressured and, and restrained and then people sort of end up getting a lack of sleep because they're forcing sex, you know, at the end of the night when they're actually just really tired and need to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what I think is one of the most important things is that people actually speak to a practitioner and learn about learn about uh, identifying when your ovulation is. Um, so another myth is that it, that people ovulate on day fourteen and they get their period at day twenty eight. So that is a total myth because people ovulate at different times and their cycle is different lengths. So when you, if you can work out when uh, you're ovulating in your cycle, then it can be uh, really uh, beneficial to, to make sure that you're getting timing right and then you can, you know, you can concentrate that sort of um, conception sex to, you know, four or five days within your cycle. I mean, um, I, I, mean I know some people are probably thinking, well, I just use an ovulation um, predictor kit like why do I have to do all the the you know yeah, the timing look, I mean the temperature and all that kind yeah, of hassle you don't, you don't need to uh, like people some people find their ovulation easier to identify than others so you know some people might get you know a pang uh, you know in their in their on their ovary mm-hmm. uh, and that's a really good sign to them that they that they're ovulating other people might have really um uh, really pronounced cervical mucus that then might have that stretchy spin stuff that, that you get when you're ovulating and that's a really good indicator for them. Um, other people might need to use the ovulation sticks. Uh, they're sort of tricky, I find, that, and some people have good success with them and others don't. Mm-hmm. Um, other people might need to take their temperature. So it's just it's, it's looking at what's going to work for you to work out when you're ovulating. Okay, thank you. Um... Now, if you could give advice to every couple trying to conceive, what would it be? Uh, yeah, okay. So I think my biggest piece of advice, and we've sort of touched on that, is to know that you're not alone. You are completely mm-hmm. normal and you are wonderful despite your struggles and what's happening for you. Um, and, yeah, this is one of the hardest things you may have to ever endure, endure. So please, you know, give yourself a lot of compassion for that. And for the relationship, be really gentle on each other. Uh, you're both, you're potentially both hurting a lot and both of you will cope in different ways. And, and whatever you do, try not to blame each other. Uh, try and see yourselves, see your couple as a team and as a team, you, you go through it together. Um, and if you can be kind and compassionate and gentle and caring for each other, it will make you and your relationship much stronger having gone through this. And also another piece of advice is if you can find someone else who's going through the same struggle and you feel that you can talk to them, then please do. Um, it just might help you and, and also help to make you feel less isolated. You know, you might be able to laugh about it, you know, some aspects of it and lighten, lighten the load a little bit. Um, and, yeah, as we talked about, there's such a taboo in our society about talking about infertility and I really don't think this is helpful for women and couples who are actually going through it. So maybe you can find a friend or speak to a counsellor and, you know, just sometimes getting these feelings and thoughts that you're experiencing out just can make a huge difference. And, of course, my advice would be to do the Natural Fertility Prescription Program. <laughs> I'm not being paid to say this, but I genuinely think that the program is completely extremely comprehensive thorough and will provide all the information that you need to know to equip yourself um, uh, with the tools and the knowledge to give yourself the best chance of trying to conceive 
um, I'm personally so happy that it exists and um, and that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about the program. Um, it's, it's very informative, it's systematic and it's given to you in weekly chunks so that it's not, not really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I think, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, working with a practitioner and so also if you sign up for the gold or platinum programs, then... Uh, you get monthly or unlimited coaching with Eva or myself and we'll give you personalised advice to go uh, along with all that learning. Um, and, and also we'll recommend tests and supplements to help you improve your fertility and prepare your body for pregnancy. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, been practising as a naturopath for, you know, 12, 13 years and, and working fertility for most of that. And I... Although I think, you know, my on my own when I was doing it through the fertility clinic and, and, you know, I do it on Skype as well, but I actually think that the fertility program is so much more beneficial for people because of this, because of the structure of it. They get so much information, you know, the patients, the clients that I work with, they're just so informed, you know, they, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing, they know what they need to eat. Uh, you know, it's not up to me to tell them because when I speak to them, they already know. And I think it's, it's empowering. It puts you in a place oh. of empowerment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, I'm a big fan <laughs> myself. <laughs> it really helped me uh, a, a great deal. And uh, so I sing its praises too. I think you too are, you know, amazing. I mean, you're dedicating your life to this and um, very kind hearted and, compassionate and uh you know it just it makes a huge difference in in a very uh i just you know it's a very vulnerable place to be found um you know when you want to become a parent and you feel like there's no you don't feel like there's any control Uh, i hear that a lot from people i feel like i can control everything in my life i've never felt that way but a lot of women oh i i feel like i could fix or control everything and this i cannot control at all and so um, yeah, I hear that know. a lot. You know, lots yeah. of type A personalities um, yeah. really accomplished in their career and, they, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're neat and they're tidy and they exercise a lot and they're, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. know amazing, amazing women. And, yeah, this is the first time that they're not actually able to control an outcome and it's mm-hmm. very challenging. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but you know, like um, I just think working within your program, it put me – back into a place of, I don't know, feeling somewhat in control. I guess you're never fully in control and that's just, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) a lie you tell yourself, but uh, it felt empowering. So absolutely empowering. Yeah. I can, I can, I can do something about this. I can um, influence my body and my health and my mental state and Mm -hmm. yeah. And, And you're just reminded that those are all so important, you know, just to really take, take such good care of yourself um, during this time period. Um, Cause ultimately then, you know, you become a parent and then you're the caretaker and you really, um, you need to be nurtured as the caretaker uh, to, to have that energy and kind of foundation to nurture. That's why I feel like for me, I mean, you know, the, the women, not all, but you know, a lot of women who've gone through fertility treatments they feel quite depleted after going, you know, through IVF rounds and things like that. And then, um, and, and then if it's successful and they become pregnant and then, I mean, it's just, it's a lot, it's Mm. a lot, 
you know, really it's is. really depleting. And so, um, yeah. it's really important know, to have that yeah. support while you're going through it. Yeah. Just take, take such good care of yourself and really listen to, um, you know, the advice uh, of Catherine, you know, the, the foods you eat and the quality of sleep and just, I don't know, the mental state, everything. So, um, okay. I think, you know, we've covered a lot and, and I feel like, you know, I definitely, could you come on again? Because, you know, I'd love you to talk about next time, some case studies of, of couples that you have treated and kind of how you address the different conditions and, um, Yes, you know, absolutely. I, I'd love to. I have loads of other questions. And, you know, congratulations again on um, on your pregnancy. Uh, it's really exciting news. And um, I know it's just going to even make you an even better practitioner. Um, so that's, uh, that's awesome. And um, if you, you know, want to uh, learn more about Catherine, then um, obviously she'll be in our podcast notes, uh, links to her and the Natural Fertility Prescription Coaching Program and um, everything else. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Catherine Maloney, for being on and spending your time with us. We really, really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. It was really great to speak to you. All right. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step, all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Fertility Hour.